Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system, and L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. I am excited to be with you here this Friday. Friday's always a good day, love it. And I am with my friend, Tyler Pygett. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is going to be Did fun. I get that right? Oh, yeah, you got it. Nailed it. Yeah, that's right. Nice. All right. So <laughs> I'm hitting Tyler way up early in the morning. Tyler's on the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Super excited to get going here on a day. For those who are just joining the Winners Find a Way show for the first time, we interview one percenters, people that have done some things in their lives, have faced some adversity along the way. And if you are looking for your chance to be elite, you're looking for something greater, improving yourself all the time, you're elite and the CEO, athlete, wherever you are in your place in life and looking to get better, I believe this is the show. And I bring on people that can help get there. So super excited, Tyler, for you to join us. Tyler, tell them a little bit where they can find you first. Okay, the best place to find me, three different places. One is our company website, so loanforcreative.com. I think that stuff will be in the show notes and whatnot. Probably the most active on LinkedIn, just my first and last name, LinkedIn. Check me out. Athletes, how to be entrepreneurs and learn in this crazy game of NIL. So I am also a longtime coach in professional baseball, coaching in three World Series, and a professional speaker speaking all all over the world. Tyler, you share that with me as a speaker yourself. Is that right? I do. I spend a fair amount of time talking to people. Yeah. that's And yeah. and I always love that when I talk to fellow speakers, because when people don't speak and they go, man, so you get up in front of hundreds of people or thousands of people and talk to them. I'm like, yeah, yep. all the time. <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, that's that. It's that fear for certain folks, totally. right? That go like that's terrifying oh for some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but- yeah, that's very different for me. And I do, I get nervous. Listen, man, yeah. I get the, you know, I get like game, game butterflies, right? I mean, I definitely yeah. feel heightened. I mean, I don't want to go up there and screw up like anybody else, but, but fortunately, mm-hmm. I've done it and uh, lived to tell the tale. <laughs> so, totally. well, you know, hey, it's not that bad. Like, you know what? Yeah. You, you make mistakes, you error, and you move on, right? Yeah, I think once you've kind of fallen on your face publicly, at least once, twice, 10 times, whatever it is, you kind of realize, oh, that's actually pretty normal. And I don't know. I mean, I think that you can kind of recover from it pretty easily. I also think people relate to it a little bit more when there's like, it's not just this perfectly polished thing, you know? Yeah, like you've got to have be well practiced and discipline all that stuff. But at the same standpoint, being the most real version of a human, I think is probably if you show up that way, it usually gets received much better. So yeah, I think we have to show our vulnerabilities a little bit, right? Yeah. The authentic self, with is sometimes you know tripping over a mic cord, you know, and so <laughs> done it before, you know. Oh yeah. I I don't think I've fully gone down yet on a stage, but I think pretty close. I Um, had one three weeks ago. We were in Florida and I was like one of those like shorter stages. So it was whatever, 
two, two and a half, three feet. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like jump high energy. I'm just gonna like jump. Totally caught my foot and then fell as I'm entering the stage. It was a rough entry. So that was my first one where I was like, Cool. That's it. Can't. I don't know if it can get much worse. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this, this can only get better at this point. Yeah. You know, like that's, uh, yeah. that's the beautiful part of it. Well, that's awesome. Okay, so let's learn a little bit about you, Tyler. You know, yeah. Pacific Northwest native, live out in Gig Harbor, which I love. You know, one of the most beautiful places in the world. If you have not been, it is incredible. What did you tell me? Three or four months of the year. It's incredible. I mean, stick to the <laughs> summer months if you really want it to be gorgeous. Yeah. It's great year round, but those are the months where it's like, oh yeah, this is why I live here. Like, it's a good memory. What was the one sleepless in Seattle? Wasn't what did wasn't he? Didn't he live in Gig Harbor? No, what's oh man, there is a guy, there is a really famous actor that which is great because I'm not gonna be able to come up with his name. Yeah, the only net movie I'm remembering, which is gonna be great, my wife will be proud, but the movie Sweet Home Alabama, he was the, okay, yeah, guy, the male lead that was in that, and he's yes. from Big Harbor. There we go, okay, good, yeah. glad you remember yeah. that. Boom, wow, All right, I'm so, impressed. I was, yeah, CEO well. of Lone Fur Creative, tell me about that name. We're done, Lone Fur, come on, man, Where's this yeah, it's. So I spent about 15 years in the corporate space, got the opportunity to transition out of a startup that I've been a part of there. And this was 2014, yeah, 2014, 2015 timeframe. And of course, naturally, hey, what do you do next? I became a college golf coach. Not usually what you do next. That was a lot of sarcasm if you didn't pick it up. But um, <laughs> yeah. we played, so I hung out with college kids, played golf like four or five days a week. And one of the courses we played at frequently was called Chambers Bay. And so if you're any PGA fans out there, 2015 US Open host, was Chambers Bay, which is in the Pacific Northwest here. And they have a single loan fir tree. And so one of the times we're walking around and I love college kids because they're just straight to the point. And they were basically, they said, hey, I've seen the car you drive. You're young. You're probably not independently wealthy. How on earth can you be out here in the afternoon playing golf with us? So it was great. So I said, hey, I run my own company, yada, yada. I was able to in a transition out of something, had a little bit of runway. And then they asked the name of my company. And I said, like, you know, it was just my name. It was like Tyler Pygate Consulting or whatever it was there in the early days. And they basically said, that's the dumbest name ever and that you need to rename it. And so then I, I just opened it up and I said, cool, what do you guys yeah. think I should name it? So then we batted around for a couple of weeks walking that golf course. And one of the kids said, hey, you should name it Lone Fur, like the like the tree on the golf course. And so it got, it stuck. And it's been that way for about eight years. Awesome. Love it. Good story. Funny, man. Like, and it's just like a college kid. No, that's a horrible name. Totally. Yeah. It, which you know, I love my it. Name, I'm right? like, like direct communication. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. I won't be offended. It's fine. It's just my name. <laughs> right. So a lot of digital work, yep. build brands on HubSpot and brand messaging, lead gen, amplifying messages. A lot of work in ed tech. Sounds pretty awesome. Now, yep. family, got a couple girls in their teens. That's awesome. Yep. Married, yep. been married over 20 years. Awesome stuff. Tell me about the kids. Tell me about the teenagers. What, what do they see from dad as an entrepreneur, someone running his own brand? You know, you're the guy who doesn't have to buy to corporate America. Like, grow your hair long, look cool. You know, like, come on, man. Like, you got, you got some uh, advantages, man. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm going to get into like real, real fast. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad grew a company, about 600 employees, for, ran it for 25 years. Oh. and didn't end well, like it essentially kind of fizzled in the early 2000s. But one of the things that I take took away from that is, is not really observing my dad in the highs and lows. So he was pretty steady and didn't really ever process things where you ever got to be a part of it. And so you didn't know if things were going great or you didn't know if things were horrible, you know? And so I, pr I take that into this entrepreneurial adventure and I try to bring my family and everything. And we talk like, I mean, literally last night at the dinner table, we were talking about some of the challenges that are going on at work today and some of the things that we might have to do because of it or some of the things we have done. And, 
trying to bring them into the highs and tr- and bring them into the lows of what's gone on and also just being super grateful for me being able to get to do what I'm doing and have a little more flexibility and being a- around more maybe in their lives. So I think that's probably, I would ideally that's kind of what they see, you know, a little bit more. I did switch to working for myself. One of the factors was I wanted to be around my family more. Um, I used to travel like two, three weeks a month. And when I was on the corporate side and I just wasn't part really of the, I got, I was missing so many things. Yeah. And so probably familiar story for many, but the idea of getting to be around and more present, I think in their lives has been highlight for me. And I like to think that they also recognize that as being something that's unique compared to maybe some of their friends and whatnot that they're around. So, yeah, I think that's a big deal. I mean, was it that way with your dad? I mean, was your dad gone a lot? Was he working long hours and busting it to make it, you know, 600 employees is a big company, man. I mean, you know, people go, Hey, listen, that doesn't sound like so much. That's not like, you know, Microsoft. (laughs) No, yeah, 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 I get it. But (laughs) 600 people, like you employ 600 people. I mean, you know, if you just talk about that very quickly, you know, at fifty thousand dollars a year per person in a sixty thousand or in a six hundred company, you're talking about three million dollars in payroll a year, right? So, you know, the company has to at least make that to make yeah. <laughs> to make payroll, right? And of course, you have cost of goods sold and everything else, so it becomes pretty big business pretty fast. And you know, the other thing that we do in leadershipity that I, I think you'll find interesting is that when we think of six hundred employees as we coach up middle market companies who often have very similar numbers is that you're making decisions for 2,400 people because the average family has about four people, right? And this is their lifeblood, right? Like this is what helps pay for the car and for food and for college and whatever they want to do. And so, hey, when you start making these decisions, you're not just making a decision for your employee. You're where they're going to live, you know, what they're going to do next. And it's a lot of responsibility for for an owner and an executive and those kind of firms. And we don't hold that lightly. So- Talk to me a little bit about your father's experience. Yeah. Math wise, you got to add a zero, I think. So 50,000 times 600 is about 30 million. I'm, so, I'm um, sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, you. I just, this is a big, big difference in numbers. Yeah. That is. Yeah. I difference. mean, he had like 13 different schools. So he ran a vocational school. And so he spent a lot of time on the road going between schools, kind of up from Northern California up to Bellingham and Washington State. So up and down the West Coast, basically. You know, he was an early riser, would leave, you know, at rarity to remember him being around for like a breakfast kind of thing, you know, a couple of days a week. I was one of those people raised, we actually were raised, I was raised on a farm. So I was raised on a Christmas tree farm. So that's a whole nother probably podcast. But <laughs> on the weekends, I remember sleeping in to like maybe 7.30 or 8 and totally like in high school and thinking it was like kind of like I was a failure because my dad had already whatever mowed five acres and painted a barn or something. So I would say he instilled a pretty intense work ethic. But a lot of that was because I wanted to hang out with him. Like, you know, yeah. you go wherever he was and that's kind of how it worked. And so he was, I mean great dad. It's super fun to still have a relationship with him now, which is unique, I know. And But I would say I've learned a lot from him, learned a lot of the highs, the lows, the things to do, maybe things to stay, stay away from. But you know, it was an interesting... Yeah, I would say it was a unique upbringing because of the fact that I got to watch the company grow because it started the year I was born, ended about 25 years later. So the, the, the peak of it was kind of like my, I suppose, late junior high, high school days kind of thing. So I remember it pretty well. I remember the ups and downs of it. And then I'll oftentimes now go back and ask because I'll remember whatever like the emotion or result of something was. And then I'll go ask my dad, well, what happened during that time? And I'm still having those conversations. We'll grab, we'll grab a beer here and there and like, we'll talk. I'll ask him questions about it. And 
part of it was because like I mentioned earlier, he wasn't super verbal then, but he's totally willing to talk about it now, which is kind of cool 20 plus years later. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah said, I, don't know. I mean, yeah. You know, he went through some challenges in that business. Right. And yeah. you know, like you said, anyone who's got a business for 25 years, there's plenty of ups and downs. I've never heard yeah. someone who go, Oh yeah, I own this brand for 25 years. It was just all ups. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I totally. don't remember having a down period actually. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. But, totally. So that's cool. You know, having that, those conversations still, I think that's what a blessing, right? Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about now you're this guy. I mean, you're a marketing guru. It's just funny, man, because like, you're like the super hip dude, the long hair, like, (laughs) come on, man. You know, marketing guys are, you know, marketing people in general, thoughtful, usually outgoing, but you're the introvert guy. What most people don't know about you is you're kind of like low, kind of like, Hey, I don't really want to be out there. You wouldn't mind still being on the Christmas tree farm. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I think probably that's like a over the last three years, everybody started working at home. They're like, I just want to farm. Like, I don't want to share a computer screen anymore. So I might not be that unique on that. But I think it's I have a weird blend of like, I love being around people. Like, I love people. I like interacting, building relationships, understanding, listening, understanding what people are all about. But I also really value my time without people and getting to have my own space. And I kind of tend to recharge more in my like you know, alone time, not with a crowd of people comparatively to like the, I suppose, true extrovert where they get energized by being in groups of people, you know? So yeah, I would, I'm kind of a closet introvert, I guess, that oftentimes people mistake it a little bit, but I, conferences, all that kind of stuff, they are so exhausting. You know, great to be at. I do, again, love being around all the people. It's just as I have to escape and stare at a wall for a while, usually, so... It's interesting. I, I think COVID's changed that for some people. You know, like yeah. I think that people found out, like, wow, I can engage and be in a relationship and be in good relationships without having to do all that. I know, I know a number yeah. of clients of mine who are like, hey, we went out to the trade show and we kicked some yeah. butt, we sold a bunch of stuff, and it's tiring, but I feel the energy and I still get that. Like, uh, I get a lot of energy from travel and meeting new people and speaking, right? And getting out yeah. in front yeah. of those newer audiences that, you know, especially from areas that I haven't been engaged in because I love the learning part. Right. Yeah. And so what, what makes people tick and what they're focused on today yet, you know, it is, it it feels like it's more tiring now than it used to be. Like when I get done at the end of the week, I'm like, wow. And, and maybe it's because I got so used to not having to travel and, and I think travel's got a little less efficient. <laughs> so so it probably is. It probably takes yeah. a little longer now. So it, it probably does yeah. wear a little bit. But yeah, I think it's it's, it's really cool. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about you as a kid. Now, sure. you're, you're growing up watching your dad, you know, entrepreneur. Yeah, it sounds like the Christmas tree farm was a whole separate, you know, family operation. <laughs> that like, yeah. And then, I mean, is this what you knew? Like, you knew like, hey, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to own businesses like my dad. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to start my own company. And I think like, I mean... I would say I always had like a desire to own my own business or multiple, but I would say based on just like the way that kind of his company kind of went, you know, went bankrupt at the end kind of thing, like, which were most of everything was just out of his control, which is, you know, hard to watch and all that kind of stuff. I probably got a little bit like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, kind of a little, you know, there's a couple of large holes, I guess, that were created that I was going to dodge, you know? And I think probably for me, like I'm generally, which I think most entrepreneurs are, but I'm a generalist. So I'm not like a, oh, I only do this one thing really well, but I can do a, a bunch of different things. And so I think probably it was really hard for me to figure out, well, what is a company? Like, what would I do? Like, 
you know, what's the company? Like, it's hard to figure that out oftentimes. So I say all that, but then I go back to like, for me, I, I remember my first job, which was like maybe a sophomore in high school. And I carried a, like a weed whacker or a weed eater, you know, at a camp, like at a summer camp. And I worked for three weeks and then they realized that I wasn't over the age of 16 yet. I think it was like 15 and a half or something. And then they, they didn't pay me because they weren't able to or something. And I kind of was like, well, this is dumb. I don't really want to do this. And so I actually started a DJ company and started DJing weddings and corporate events. <laughs> sounds and very super. Yes, yeah, totally. Yeah, super, super funny. Super oh my gosh. <laughs> but like, that's what I did for the rest of high school. And then I actually paid my way through college as a DJ because this was pre iTunes, you know, pre, yeah, pre right. playlist days, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So this it's vinyl. This is vinyl or CD. Oh, this man. is like, see, oh, yeah, totally. It was like, I remember when the first Sony Discman came out, those black ones that, you know, were like, two inches thick. And if you touched them, they skipped, you know, like that whole thing. Yeah. But that was like the, I guess, first generation of being able to like mix from one track to another. And then you bring in vinyl and all that. But anyway, all that being said, like I've always had like these entrepreneurial bones in my body that, you know, I'm going to go out and try to make my own way, I guess, on this. And part of that's because it's fun and exciting and new and it's an adventure and there's unknowns and and there's risk. And then there's part of that that I go, well, there's so much more opportunity there versus, you know, go get a job, get paid this much, have these responsibilities. And there's a little bit of a cap. So I probably have always had that that entrepreneurial bone, whether or not I knew that it was there or not. It just was kind of like how I was wired, I suppose. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I think there's some power in the fact like, you know, most people I talk to are in the entrepreneur space are a little bit like myself. I, I mean, I was mm-hmm. delivering papers when I was yeah, totally. 25. My first entrepreneurial moment came really in the paper route when I was went to junior high football practice and I paid, I had three routes, a pretty big deal in my neighborhood, right? And they were giving me more routes, you know, from the time from fifth to seventh. Well, now I was getting into school sports. So I didn't really have a lot of control over the schedule. And so now after school, instead of delivering papers, I had to go to practice. And so I paid three friends, like each a dollar to take, you know, one of the routes of the three and I'd lay it out and train them up about what they need to do and give them their list. And I would make about $5 a day to do the three routes, I think. And so, man, I was like, man, I went to football practice today and made two bucks. Man, like, check me <laughs> totally. out, man. Like, I mean, yeah. I made 10 bucks Monday through Friday going yeah. to football practice. So I'm like, I'm like a pro football player. I'm like getting paid to play football now, like 10 <laughs> bucks a week, right? And so <laughs> I thought I was kind of a big deal. And, yeah. but, but you realize like, hey, I got, even though I worked, of course, for the paper, you know, I worked for the newspaper, yeah. but then I started, you know, shoveling snow and doing lawns and controlling, you know, the customer service that I already had customers. Yeah. And so some of them became customers of my other business. Right. And so that was, you know, cause back then the papers, you did all the collection. I knew all the people I delivered the papers to, right. Yeah, it wasn't totally. like everybody paid it online. So it was yeah. a really interactive thing. And so Man, I mean, I knew I could create value. And even my buddies and I, man, we were like selling stuff like, oh, hey, man, like I don't don't even... I don't even ride this bike anymore, man. You could buy this bike for like a hundred, yeah. you know, ten dollars. You know? totally. yeah. <laughs> Selling a bike, and you know, my brothers would go to college. I had older brothers; they'd leave, and they had like an old bike. I'd sell it. They're like, dude, what <laughs> my bike? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> Sold awesome. it. You know, like, yeah, making money because I just be like, hey, man. All of a sudden, I knew I could make money, and then. I think the other thing that really served me well that you might appreciate is like a service business, like the tree business, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to talk to people and you have to like, you know, Hey, what do they want? What are they looking for? And I, Oh, I want a Douglas fir. No, I want this. I want that. You know, yeah. 
And, you know, waiting tables was a big deal because you were paid on your performance of service, right? Yeah. And it was like, man, that was really important to me. I think that shaped a lot of things for my entrepreneurial journey. So I wish more kids had chances like that at a younger age to start developing that than they do now. Yeah. No, I would agree. I think like even thinking back through like the DJ experience, like it was, I mean, you had like the best, the person you had to win over was the bride, right? And you'd have yeah. to meet with them beforehand, figure out what they want to do. What's the venue going to be like? How, you know, what other, and you're constantly coming up with upsells because, oh, you don't have someone that made your slideshow or you don't have someone that's going to set up your, your PA for your ceremony or whatever. And so you can constantly, but you're listening to problems throughout and you're listening for what, how you could potentially solve those. And like, you're just just, but you're just learning that. Like you're naturally yeah. learning that as you go through it. I think there's tons of ways, be obviously besides starting your own gig that you can do that. But I think like you said, you know, I just wish there was more of those opportunities, you know, specific to ways kids are getting raised now. An example of that for us, I think we're about to finish an Airbnb. It's a rental, like short-term rental that we're building and and we're finishing it. And particularly, obviously it's great for a little investment, side money, whatever, but in particular to give it a job to our kids. Yeah. And so that they would learn the customer service piece, answering questions, making sure it's booked. They don't get paid unless it's booked. They don't get a service, you know, the cleaning fee, unless there's someone been in it, you know, just teaching like the, like, kind of like how this works, you know, it doesn't work where you just sit around and wait for your paycheck, you know, like there's some love that now. So we're excited about that. They've been doing it for another property for somebody else. And so are they doing the cleaning cool way to, yeah, they are. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, yeah. I love it because I will tell you like, cause I own vacation properties, right? I've yeah, been, yeah. I have been with VRBO since like 2005. Early, early. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was an early adopter. Right. And so, so when I got in there, man, I quickly learned like in the first three or four years, the cleaner is the most important person in your entire business, right? Like they are like the go-between of what's going on in the world, what's happening right now. They're your eyes and your ears. And by the way, if they don't do their job really well, like the guests are never happy, right? Like they're never happy. They're the ones that are like setting up the quote unquote product, right? Like that the product's the house or the apartment or the whatever. And they're the ones that have control over it. They are the most like, you know, most important person for sure. So let's pivot to a time like, you know, the show is based on, you know, winners, a quote, winners when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. Yeah. And I love that quote from the four disciplines of execution and yeah. a good book. And man, I have found this so true in my life because I'm looking for solution providers around me to support my team, support my brands, support my companies. And I've just noticed that they've made life a lot easier and a lot better for me, for others around them. If man, they don't, they just don't say, wow, that's really bad. The data is not good. Someone should do something about that. <laughs> you yeah, know, I need somebody to say, I will do something about that. Right. Yeah. And so talk to me about a time, you know, coming up in your business ventures here when you were just really challenged, like, mm-hmm. man, there's clear that the data you're not winning, things are not going the right direction. You've got to do something differently. How did you respond to that? What did you do? What was the result? Which one do I pick? Yeah, right. I know, I know, right? <laughs> I think like the, I mean, like earliest that I can think of was I worked for at a small, like equity stake in it, but worked for an investment group and we launched a consumer product. And I had to pitch the investment group six times before they, you know, green lighted what we could do. And, you know, that was, hey, here's here's X amount of money, had a couple commas in it, which was awesome. But you've got, you know, six months to prove it and you've got, you know, launch it into a test market build a brand, like the whole thing. And, you know, I think one of the things that like, I would say I've taken away from that season, because that was constant, like, you know, just 
like you had to be gritty. Otherwise you wouldn't make it. Like it's not, there's no product. You have to create a product and figure out how to get people to pay you for it. And I would say for that, like just kind of like takeaways for me was just the, like, I'm not a naturally satisfied person, if that makes sense. So I'm constantly like not naturally satisfied, not naturally content. And so I'm constantly trying to improve, make things more efficient. There's better ways to do this. You know, if this is a a challenge, hey man, how can I fix a little bit of it? So maybe if it happened again, it didn't hurt as much or whatever the scenario is. And so I think in this specific example, just like the, the, hey, no, okay, that way didn't work. Cool. All right. Don't get too down on yourself. It's okay. Re, you know, re revamp and go at it again the next day and continuing to find a way. And so like, I just remember, Hey, there's, you know, you can't even get into whole foods. So this was a consumer product and we couldn't get into whole foods because it wasn't doing enough market share, didn't have enough. They wouldn't even get up as a meeting at a regional location. Cause that was back in that day. That's where you would go into a regional location they'd say yes or no. And then if they said yes, they'd put it out to all their stores, but there was a whole foods that was getting built. And so I went to that Whole Foods and basically just like worked my way in, got to know people while they're building it and literally got to work my way into it. I just walked in one day before it was open and asked people that were in the beverage because it was a consumed beverage product, asked people, what, you know, like, what does it take to get in one of these coolers? You got to be selling it. Well, how do you get started if you haven't sold any yet? Well, we just got to prove it. And then I just literally just said, hey, well, would you let me prove it here? I've got three cases in my car. If these don't move in the first week, don't worry about it. But if they do move in the first week, would you let me put another three in? And it was just like that, like, I mean, I can count, I don't know how many stories I have of that specific scenario in different stores or different, but I just didn't give up. Like I just believed that there was a way to accomplish it. And that product ended up doing really well, ended up selling hundreds and hundreds of cases, thousands of cases. We got up to like 30,000 a month. But so anyway, it's like that, that, that like tenacity or kind of resilience, I guess you could call it, was started to be built in that, in that kind of time frame. I would say in the service business, it translated into that. So like that resilience of trying to get results for clients and just keep going, keep trying to, you know, win people over to keep trying to, you know, from the sales side, then all the way to when they are a client, how do you, you know, treat them well? How do you make it so that they like working with you or pumped to send you a check at the end of the month or whatever? Yeah. And I just would keep connecting back to that, like the resilience side of things. And that is something that I feel like is you can't go wrong by learning or investing in that skill or that kind of attribute of a personality. Yeah. Love it. I think that, man, I mean, I can imagine some folks in corporate world America that don't, you know, no, we got to do it the traditional way. You got to go through a buyer. You got to go through this. Like I, I, I could see, a, you know, some bigger brands not actually loving that approach, right? Like, wait a minute, yeah. you know, we don't have enough PO yet and you're just selling out of your car. Like that's not the yeah. way we do things, you know? And it's a very different environment, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's one of the reasons that I thought I would always struggle in big corporations. And I, and I did work for one and really I didn't, I wasn't so much in the corporation by name. I was a small subsidiary of that big corporation. So sure. it yeah. wasn't quite the same, but you know, we had all the rules and regulations around us of the big corporate. And I was like, Holy cow, there's a lot of governance, you know, and I get it. They've got a lot of people to manage. So I really understand that. But I also thought, Hey man, can we fix things faster? Like, yeah. like, let's get some repair work done. Let's, hey, this isn't working well. How about we do something about it? And they're like, oh, let's, you know, we should get a committee together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know if we need a committee just to solve whether we, <laughs> whether we use, you know, black ink or blue ink. I think we could just kind of resolve this right here, right now. Good. You know? Yeah. Who's with yeah. me? I'm like, nobody would raise their hand. <laughs> like, totally. I'm like, oh man, I'm on an island over here. Yeah. You know? 
Tough world. I just read that this is a name drop for Mal- Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you're familiar with Malcolm, Malcolm sure. Gladwell. He's an author and he's got a book called David and Goliath. And I just finished that a couple of weeks ago. And it was really about a lot of this where, you know, the, the Davids are the kind of underdogs or the misfits or the whatever you'd want to call them, where the Goliaths like the what in this example, big corp and people, you know, governments and things that are like, oh, my gosh, how do you ever get anything done in some of these scenarios? Yeah. And so there's a fascinating breakdown of all of those where it's really just talking about and the stats that he threw out were fascinating around the majority, like it's like 70 percent of the time underdogs actually win. And so really? because of the fact that they're scrappy, they're looking at it from a different angle, they're willing to be creative on it, they're willing to, you know, scrap it and start over the next day or whatever the thing is. So to your point where it's like blue or black ink, can we just decide, let's just, just make this decision. This is really easy. We do yeah. not need to spend six months trying to yeah. figure this out. Yeah. But it was a great read because of that. Cause I think most entrepreneurs probably fit into that way, shape or form. I think most entrepreneurs are builders. And so you build things sometimes uniquely, like not everyone's like this perfect set of Legos or whatever you get, right. Where it's like this perfect manual. And sometimes you're just like slapping these things together and somehow it works and, then you might refine it and get better at it, but it doesn't work that way. Once it's already built, you sometimes need a different person to go from one to 10 or whatever it is versus zero to one. So it's an interesting mentality, I guess. Let's talk about some like, you know, people in your life who came alongside you, Tyler, as you're coming through and figuring this thing out, finally going to take a jump from a corporate environment, feeling, you know, pretty confident having been with a, you know, startup consumer product to yeah. saying, Hey, like maybe I feel good about, you know, I know, I know what the I know what the small consumer business looks like. So I have idea of hey, I'm not going in blind. I'm not you know jumping into dark water and not knowing if it's six inches or sixty feet, right? Yeah. But so you got an idea. I mean, were there people along the way they influenced you? How did they show up for you to help you get to where you wanted to go? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, lots of different ones. I wasn't one of those people that like had this. You know, oh, I paid and I was part of this coaching program and these mentors, da, 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 like it was way more of a relational side of things, maybe communities I was part of here and there, whether they're business or personal or whatever. And I mean, early on, I remember just asking a couple people that I would have deemed kind of like real successful entrepreneurs. So maybe that was just the, hey, they started something and it worked or they started five and sold two of them or whatever. But I remember having a lot like lengthy conversations with them early on. It's like, and I was mostly asking, well, do I do this? I mean, I've got little kids at home, mortgage bills, the whole thing. I'm basically leaving and saying, I'm not making any money (laughs) and then need to figure out how to you know, first goal is obviously to, you know, make your make your ends meet at the end of each month. And all of them said, yeah, absolutely. If you're wired this way, like, why would you not do this? Like, this mm. is the time to do it. There isn't a bad time to do it. You yep. know? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that, because I think if you are an entrepreneur to the traditional sense, I suppose, you are willing to take risks and jump off the deep end and kind of do whatever it takes to whatever they accomplish, whatever you're trying to accomplish, whether that's, you know, trying to pay the pay bills or launch product or have these conversations or prep for this meeting or whatever. But I think like that's, it's in the wiring of most entrepreneurs where they're willing to kind of jump off the deep end and, and not have, a, you know, a really perfect plan because they know that they've got to figure it out as they're midair before they land or whatever it is. So I think that was early on was those types of people, like those mentors. And then I think more recently in the last like year or two for me, 
it's been people that are like hyper special, like specialties. And so, hey, this person, like I, I, I worked for about six months with the guy that launched the Bank of America home app, like back in like from 2000, 2010, worked for Bank of America. So he's like a finance nutcase, like, you know, in a really positive way. But he was, I learned a ton from him just around, you know, the finance of business, the big business, the small business to taking on investors, to doing acquisitions, all sorts of things. And so obviously that's like a hyper focused small piece of the pie. And I've had a lot of those going through the last number of years where, you know, it's way less of a generalist and way more learning about kind of the specialties of whatever I'm trying to solve or figure out. So, yeah, I have found many leaders to be extreme astute generalists. And I call them astute because, you know, they are generalists, often have a degree in something, you know, an expertise in business, engineering, law, something, but working in spaces far from that now and really managing the people. But astute meaning while they're generalists in a lot of things, they are really above average in all those things. They've studied, they've really worked to know the important things, or they've really brought in the right people around them to surround themselves who need to know those things and given them the the ability to do that. Meanwhile, like like learning from them, right? Like watching yeah. them in yeah. action going, this is great. I'm so glad I don't have to do this and you're awesome at this. <laughs> like, yeah, that's totally. great for me yeah. because I just be mucking this thing up if I was doing totally. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had both. Like, I feel like there's, you know, I'm, there's an element where if you've got the finance, go buy the most knowledgeable, whatever expensive person you can find, right? That's going to help you get better at it. But sometimes you don't and you got to just go figure it out on your own. And so I've done both where you've got amazing people working next to you that you're literally trying to go, how can I get everything out of the way so that you can just run as fast as you can? Yeah. And then at the same time, had to figure out like, how do you hone in some of these skills? Because I can't afford to hire anybody in that area for six months or something. I've got to figure it out first. I don't know. I There's an element where I do like the learning aspect of it a little bit more potentially because then you're able to help direct the person when it is comes time where you could bring them onto a team or hire them. But I do like the speed if you bring somebody in that already is up to speed, if that makes sense, you know, like around that certain characteristic or knowledge set. So I think probably both. Yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned that's kind of interesting to me is that, you know, when you went out and asked these entrepreneurs, did any of these entrepreneurs tell you no, that they wouldn't take any time to talk to you? I mean, maybe, but I think most of them were pretty, I mean, some of them I knew, I mean, maybe I talked to like, say, call it like eight, nine different ones. Probably half of them I knew or had some sort of like, you know, one phone call away type relationship. Yep. Others I didn't know at all. And I think I talked to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I think I most that- entrepreneurs are like super personable and want to share. Like they're yeah. willing to like, hey, how can I help? Do they, do they just know like the where you're at usually? It doesn't take long, at least for them to absorb it. So. Yeah. And, and I think they love the conversations and the likelihood that when you come to me, a challenge you're facing that I'm going to learn something is really high, right? Like you're going to come in with this major challenge. You're asking me, which, you know, is an honor. That's awesome. Totally. And and, And there's a chance I may not be able to help you actually. Right. And, and I'm okay with that. And so oftentimes I, lo- I don't like people to walk away without info. So, hey, I'm probably not the guy you should be asking, but I do know three people that are experts in this. Like my network's pretty yeah. good, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, hey, Tyler, I'm going to connect you with a couple of friends of mine that I really think you should talk to about this. And then let's you and I circle back on a coffee and let's talk about what you learned and kind of next yeah. step this thing, right? And yeah. so I, I do that for two reasons. You know, one is I want to feel like I gave value and contributed to your success because I want to see you do well and I want to see all people do well. And, and two is I want the learning, like whatever you learned, I want that backup. Like I want to go back and, 
and get what you learned and go, man, cause I didn't know the answer either. And then you found it. So like, what'd yeah. you learn? Right. And so yeah. like that also helps like shape the next phase of things of why you're going to go to where you're going to go now that you've learned what you've learned. And I think that's a really big deal. And I really feel like I think, I think it may be getting better, but I do find like there's a certain folk, certain person that is somewhat reluctant to ask for that help. Hmm. And I'm like, man, you'd be surprised how much people really honor being asked for that help. I think it's a really yeah. big deal. And and even if I'm having a bad day and, and you know, my neighbor walks down the street and says, hey, like, man, my mower just went down. You think I could use your mower? And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Like, yeah, totally. no yeah. problem. Of yeah. course. Like, this is, you yeah. know, nothing. and I feel good about myself. Like, oh, hey, listen. I, you know, hey, Dan and Megan's, you know, their mower went down. So Dan came over and borrowed the mower. Like, I'm telling my wife, I'm telling my kids, like, I don't know if you know what I'm, I'm a really good guy, right? Like, yeah, totally. you know, like, and I'm trying to convince them, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel good about me. I feel good about yeah. me that I helped somebody out. And I hope I hopefully contributed to a little bit better of a day when it wasn't going so great at the start of it, yeah. right? And so yeah. for people out there, I think it's a really important lesson that Tyler has shared, which is, you know, hey, man, I'm young. I'm starting out. I don't know some of these answers. And I went to people who have been there before and know some of these answers and they were happy to share. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. I think it's also like a one of the things that I see a lot in like just kind of business cultures is like you, you a lot of people like use relationships. You yeah. Know? So they like burn through them quickly sometimes or they just are trying to use them to get what they want and then they bail. I don't really agree with that. Like I think that there maybe there are some that are like that, but I would say for the most part, you really never know when it might help to be, have that connection live again, or when it might help to maybe you reach out or you're trying to connect somebody you're talking to, like for your example, like, Hey, I don't really know, but I know this dude and, or this gal, and she knows how to you know solve this problem. And if you don't like maintain or keep your network, like it's pretty darn hard to be able to like unearth those when you needed it the next time or wanted to refer somebody to them or whatever. And so I think it's like focusing on, or at least having a focus on, you know, keeping and maintaining a network, I think is really really important. I mean, I think like for me, as I've gone through different like buying of agencies or acquisitions or selling or whatever, like I have a team of people that are really good at all the different aspects that are required in that. And I have to keep that network all the time because I don't know necessarily when I'm going to do the next thing or need evaluation work done or whatever. And I use these fancy examples, like I feel like I'm more important than I am, but, but like that, the whole point of it being like making sure you're keeping up with those relationships because you just don't know when you'll need them again or when somebody else might benefit from that relationship. So I guess that's just an encouragement to people to, you know, keep that network strong. So Yeah, I think that, I think there's also amongst us entrepreneurs, I think there's also, and it's amongst athletes and things like that too, military personnel, I see it. There's kind of an unspoken too that, hey, Tyler, happy to help you. And when I call you now, Tyler, and say, hey, Tyler, I got yeah. this young lady who's coming out of college and she really wants to study marketing and she'd like to interview for her final dissertation and try to understand maybe how to go forward. Could you spend 35 minutes with her and talk? Like, totally. of course I'm yeah. going to do that for you. 100%. You helped me yeah. when I was in a time of need. Of course I'm going to do that. It's a reciprocal yeah. kind of deal. and. Yeah. And it's expected and it's not necessarily needs to be said, but it's a cool environment to be a part of. Absolutely. Those have been super fun. I've, I mean, I've done tons of those types of things where it's, hey, so-and-so's a junior in college. You're thinking about majoring in this, this, and this. They're trying to figure out what to do next and what to do when they get out of college. Would you talk to them about marketing? And you're like, of course, I have no idea if I'm going to share anything that they'll actually, you know, <laughs> that will be beneficial, but I'd love to meet them and talk to them and see if there's anything I can say that would point them in the direction. You know? So I think that stuff's really fun. 
Like I really do enjoy those types of conversations. But I think you're totally right. There is that like unsaid expectation or unsaid agreement kind of thing when people kind of refer you back to whatever that might look like for sure. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Let's get into a little bit of, you know, people out there, it's challenging. You know, one of the things that I've seen is change is that there's a lot of different opinions out there now. It's very tough to get clear vision you know, and as an aging person here, my vision is getting blurrier all the time. Man. <laughs> or my, I think I need longer arms now to read things. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about clarity and vision. I mean, it's so important in organizations. It's so important on teams. Yet, it's a pretty challenging thing I see in organizations, and a lot of organizations struggle with it deeply. Talk to me about you know your experience with it. Yeah, I've always kind of been, I guess, like hardwired as a little bit more of a visionary potentially. So for me, I haven't had to work at it a ton from a knowing it's needed. I've had to work a lot on how do you build it and actually make it, you know, give it legs and make it applicable. But I think like for me, and I think everybody would be able to relate to this where, you know, when you're part of a team or a org or a, even like a thing at church or a thing in your community or a, a baseball team at whatever, you know, like, like, you know, when there's more at stake or more that you're playing for or more that's like the direction is there's like more energy towards a certain thing versus those ones that feel pretty empty and like there's no point. And a lot of them is because there's just there's a there's vision to where you're wanting to go. That's all can then connected and maybe like the culture of how that's operating. And so I think like the importance of it, we were talking about this example, like before we hit record here, but, or we went live, depending on who you're looking at. I might've totally just destroyed it. Fine. <laughs> uh, but we were talking about this before we got started. And, and it was about like the idea of, you know, we've all like been on like Google maps or whatever, and it's given us directions. And, you know, like the minute it says like rerouting and you're like, shoot, did I miss a turn? Like what's going on? And oftentimes our hardwire is to like get things done quickly. And my kind of always, my example I always go back to is, is that like direction is actually more important than speed. Because if you're trying to go too fast, you might actually map, you know, miss your turn and, and the directions example or something like that. And so part of that direction comes from the vision of like, well, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to do? How compelling is that vision? How easy is it to invite people into that vision? So just from an important standpoint, I'm not gonna, I don't, I'm not going to give the frameworks and all those types of things of like, here, how's I, how I do it. But I think it's worth digging into for, for people that might, you know, not, you know, maybe have some question marks, I guess, of like, huh, why am I doing this? You know, what's my why? It's sometimes, you know, a popular question I think that people sometimes struggle with. But I think it's important for lots of different things from, hey, I signed up for a marathon all the way to, you know, I started a business and I hope I can sell it for $10 million someday or something. I mean, it's anything in between. I think little things can be driven by vision as well as big things can be. So super important, at least where I come from. So. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, one of the things that you and I share is, you know, an attention to detail around steps, around process, around, yeah. you know, getting around the order of things and, and following a path of success that's maybe been laid yeah. out before through the vision. When I come to my vision, I, I think one of those things I've had to learn much like you to how to put it in action, but also yeah. how to get, you know, the buy-in of others, right. And, and have them see what I see. And, and that's not always been easy for mm. me, but you know, one of the things that, you know, we talked about you, you know, being an introvert and you know, the laid mm. back. Do you watch Ted Lasso? Oh yeah. Yeah. Ted Lasso. I love when he asked the, uh, when he asked Trent Krim about, yeah, where's your bike? He goes, yeah. I don't actually know how to ride a bike. What is it? The hair? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's like totally. we make these assumptions about people, yeah. right? You hear you're uh. this laid back <laughs> guy, you're the marketer, but yet 
internally you're mm. a regimented guy like i see a vision and there's going to be steps to that vision in my mind yeah. i'm thinking like hey you know a before b b before c c before are you trying to do e early because you yeah. got to go back and do d right you know like and totally. you're understanding there's a thing here that if we get out of order it won't be good and yeah. let's talk about how we get that buy-in from teams mm. on vision in the process how do you do that well yeah well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And you're totally, you've analyzed me right. I definitely am like a reverse engineer of how things work. You know, like here's where you want to go, reverse engineer back to where you are today. Here's all the steps you take. What, and sometimes that's to a fault. My wife makes money all the time on that, which is a different podcast. But as far as like kind of activating people and bringing, you know, a team around it, you know, I think that it starts with vision. You know, like I do a, some coaching of other agencies and other marketing groups on the side. And one of the things I'm always asking, because oftentimes they'll ask me, well, hey, who do I hire first? Or what job should I, you know, like go after? Or how much money should we expect to make? Or how much do I charge for the service or whatever? And I almost always go back to, well, cool, what's your vision? Like that, if we're doing a, a class and I'm teaching a class, that's the first topic because so much of it stems out of that. If you're not trying to build a team and you don't want, you just want it to be a solopreneur, entre, you know, entrepreneur kind of experience, then I'm going to answer the question differently than if I know you want to build a team of 50 or something. Yes. And so I think you really do have to start with that vision first. And then I think, you know, as that, like, as you kind of start to frame that and it's, you know, simplicity of, well, what are you passionate about? The founder almost, it always starts with the founder, what they're passionate about. It can a little bit morph over time from that, but oftentimes it's, what are they passionate about? What it's the, what's motivating them? You know, that's type, those types of things. But I think getting your vision to a simplistic standpoint to where you actually can invite other people into it is, a, is, is really important. So sometimes people, you know, hey, what's your vision? What's your five year, your three or whatever? And it's like, hey, here's my three pages of the vision. And you kind of look at it and you go, well, there's no way you'll be able to actually like repeat that or bring somebody else into that because they won't remember that. And so really boiling down your vision into kind of like a couple statements at most, a couple bullet points at most if you need to. But I think that part is the first, like that simplicity, that clarity to be able to actually invite people into it. And then obviously, you know, you people, everybody talks about values and corporate values and whatever that is for your own individual organization. But I think that aligns with your vision, which then you always hire for your values. So then when you're bringing people into it, it like there's a little bit more of a natural kind of progression, I guess, if you will, when you're trying to invite people into that vision, because ideally they're kind of cut from a similar cloth, if you will, <laughs> from a personality standpoint or from a characteristic standpoint of how they kind of function to be able to fit into that vision too. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of like the the nuts and bolts of a kind of how you would start to do it. Let's finish with success. You know, people define success a lot of different ways and a lot of things that you, we talked a little bit offline about mm -hmm. this in the past where, you know, people decide like, hey, my, my success is going to be tied to something that yeah. I may or may not get to control. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll use the example of housing right now. Like I've often mm -hmm. looked at, hey, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty successful guy if I've got a house and this, this neighborhood and this or that. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2020 happens and housing prices go crazy. You go, get, you know what? You may not live in that kind of neighborhood right now. Like, yeah. you know, everything's kind of changed and the mortgage has changed. And if your income has changed significantly, which mine did during COVID when all of a sudden yeah. we shut the border to Canada down, right? Totally. And all my totally. business changed. I mean, all of a sudden I was looking at, whoa, so I'm not successful because I'm not going to be able to choose the, the couple neighborhoods that I really want to live in now. And so mm. does that make me less successful? So mm. talk to me a little bit about your kind of definition. Yeah. So I don't know, this was a couple of years ago. I kind of got disrupted, if you will, when it came to like, what's my success? I probably have grown, I've grown up in the, the culture of more. 
And so more is better, you know, whether it's like, oh, I have a salary and I, I, I should just want more. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm making half a million a year, I should just want more. And I think one of the things, so since I grew up in that, probably maybe three or four years ago, I met with a like a, a successful COO. So they'd run a couple of different organizations and he actually ended up writing a book that was about success. And one of the things that he always said was, you know, success is, okay, fill in the blank. And he'd literally like stare at you and like make you fill it in. <laughs> and you kind of got this like feeling that, oh crap, I have to answer this right. Like yeah. I, have to, I don't know what the right answer is, but I have to answer this right, you know? And I think like most of the time when we all kind of boil it down, is if we said like, oh, success is, you know, making X amount of money, probably when you get close to making that amount of money, you'll just move the target endlessly, yeah. right? Or the success is this house or the car or the vacation home or the vacations or the whatever, 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 right? And I'm not saying- the blank. Those, Yeah, those are not, none of those things are bad, right? I'm not yeah. saying, oh my gosh, you can't pursue those. But I would say for me, like I shifted a number of years ago to, for success for me is seeing other people succeed. And so it's, you know, coaching, it's kind of sewing in, if you will, to people, it's helping them maybe fall on their face a couple less times than I have. It's- you know, trying to help them like from a career standpoint. And I think I learned that early on because in previous jobs, I'd hired people and brought them in and, you know, they'd stay for three months to three years to however long, but I couldn't have like the success of how many people I managed because I didn't have control whenever they leave or whenever they would, you know, stay till or whatever. But I did have control of would they leave a better person than when they started. And whether that was, you know, helping them personally or whether it was helping them professionally or was getting the right training or counseling or whatever the thing is for them. So I feel like in the business sense, like that's helped me a ton, just like shifting, you know, like what do I actually, like what's the thing that actually like brings you like, like lifts your heart is what I call it. So the thing that actually brings you like some joy and excitement and maybe some energy, like when you get off of that type of a phone call, well, pay attention to it. What was it? Why was it? Why did you, why are you amped about that? It's like what you said earlier about, you know, a neighbor, like their mo their lawnmower goes down and you're able to like provide. And so helping people, I would assume is high on your kind of like chart of things that you get excited about. And so you can help a lot of people and you can control that. Right. And like, that's not something that's like tied to the economy or tied to government lending or whatever, you know, like it's not something that's tied to that. So I oftentimes, I'll, so that's one of the things I'll do. So I'll literally go back and go, what are the things that kind of lift my heart? And what are the things that I'm engaged in phone calls, meetings, people, activities that I get excited about? And then the other question I'll ask is, is what matters in 20 years? Mm. So when I'm going back to like some of those, you know, entrepreneurs that I talk to and they're maybe they're in their kind of, I don't know, sixties, you know, kind of more towards the legacy, leaving a legacy type part of their career. And and like when you ask them like, well, what mattered to you, you know, 20 years ago or what matters to you today? None of them are talking about, oh my gosh, you can't believe the cool car I bought when I was 42 yeah. or whatever. Like none of them say that. Nobody ever does. And the people that do aren't very interesting. And none of us really like, <laughs> like them, you know, years later, you know, and again, have cool cars, live in sweet houses, go on cool vacations, treat people well, you know, like all those things like that's great. But I think that really shifted me along several years ago around, okay, what matters in 20 years? It's like, so for me, it's, you know, I, I want to still stay, I want to be married. So like, that's a huge priority to me. So it means what am I doing today, this week, you know, this month, what am I doing to engage, be with my wife, build connection with her, you know, prioritize her so that in 20 years, we're still married and that's still a thing. It's the same thing with my kids. Like, man, I'd love a relationship with them when they're 40. You know, like yeah. that'd, that'd be super fun for me. And so that starts to like be put on that list of success, you know, and again, I'm not listing 
how much money I made and all those types of things. I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, probably you know what it's like to make lots of money and you know what it's like to make no money. And usually when you make lots of money, you have no time to spend it. And usually when you have time to spend it, you aren't making any money. At least that's when been my experience yeah. thus far. Yeah. And so it goes up and down and like, you know, of course, squirrel away some for, you know, times when stuff's difficult, all that good stuff. But that's been harder for me to be able to like, oh, I pulled this lever and this comes out at the other side and that makes me happy or is defined by success. And so I've tried to really hard to focus on Hey, what are the things that I can quote unquote control if there's anything that we actually do get to control or not and what energy you can put towards those to make sure that those are successful. So I don't know if any of that makes sense. That's yeah, I love of, it. No, 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 I love it. I love it. I think it's so important. And it's funny when you said that because when people ask me and I mean, people, I'm in my fifties now, right? So people ask yeah. me like, Hey man, when you were 25, what was you thought was important? And I used to ask people that too. And I always got a kick out of it because when I would ask people when I was 25 or 30, they'd laugh. Yeah. That would be the first oh. thing. I was like, what was important? They'd laugh. They'd go, oh, you know what was important yeah. to me? You know, like, they're like, man, I thought this was going to be so important. And, yeah. and they go, yeah, doesn't mean jack squat, right? No. And now I laugh because I'm like, oh yeah, when I was yeah. 25, I thought this was important, you know? Yeah. So I really get that. So yeah. listen to me, Tyler, such a pleasure to have you aboard, man. You know, thinking about our week, you know, I was, was kind of reminded of this quote, you know, if you're afraid of failure, you will never succeed. You have to take chances. That was mm. that was Mario Andretti, right? No and you know, one of the greatest racers of all time, knowing like, hey man, there's a lot of risk involved. But man, you know, prepared for that risk, like being educated about risk and talking to people. I love the idea of people getting a vision and being smart about that and simplifying their and, and getting people to buy in on what that vision is and and getting the right team who actually shares values around that. And then of course our success and filling in that blank and, and not being something maybe out of our control inside that blank. And also having the vision of that 20 year window of like, Hey, is this still going to be successful for you 20 years later? Like, is that still going to yeah. be defining success? So for Tyler, thank you so much, Tyler. Last one, where can they find you again? Agency website, loanforcreator.com. Check me out on LinkedIn. So first name and last name on LinkedIn, also on Twitter and then email. I think we'll throw all that stuff in show notes and descriptions and all that good stuff. So feel free to reach out and be fun. Just let me know how, how you heard me or whatever, so that I have some sort of context of what crazy thing I said, but would love to, would love to meet people and chat with them. See you. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.